Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Happy Lent. Uh, Good evening. Um, It's so strange, Lent is. If you grew up in the church, you know that this is a very bizarre season of the church here. Because we want to greet each other like we say, you know, Happy Easter or Merry Christmas, but Merry Lent? It's sort of bizarre. It's sort of weird. It's like our Corinthians verse that we read. You know, we're pressed, but we're not crushed. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. And so, so the season of Lent is this dichotomy going back and forth between utter deep sorrow for our sin and realizing why Jesus had to come in the first place to the joy of knowing that come Easter, the forgiveness is there and, and, and Christ has risen, he's risen indeed, but yet throughout the we're, we're here and we're here like a really bad roller coaster ride. That's what Lent is really about. Now, if you didn't know this, Lent isn't even in the Bible. It's not, some, it's not something that, that God says, thou, on the sixth day thou shalt have Lent. That's just not there. Um, he didn't command it. But Lent, the season that we're entering into starting tonight for the next several weeks, it's one of the oldest obs- observations in the Christian calendar, in the Christian church calendar. Uh, early, early church father Irenaeus, uh, back in 130, 130 years after Christ uh, rose, wrote, wrote of such a season in the earliest days of the church. But back then, it wasn't a 40-day kind of journey It was a two or maybe three day uh, preparing your hearts, preparing our hearts before Good Friday and going into the the, uh, Easter celebration. So like all Christian holy days and holidays, it's changed over the years. But the purpose for you and the purpose for me during this Lenten season has always been the same. And it's simply this. Self-examination and confessing sin And promising, really, to change the way I think about my sinful life and move away from sin and toward being more like Jesus. And those of us who have lived several years and and know scripture and theology understand that we can't even do that on our own. That is only a Holy Spirit thing. So, Tonight, what I'd like to do is uh, to help us out with the the confession and the repentance idea. I'd like to take a cue from one of our Lutheran church fathers, the one whom our church is actually kind of named for or denomination, uh, Martin Luther. Um, Way back in the early days of of Reformation, Martin Luther, who was a priest in the Roman Catholic Church, was ousted because of of, uh, his teaching that... Grace comes solely through God, solely through the grace of God. Um, He realized many people who were breaking away from the Roman Catholic Church were asking the same question. Now what? We've we've grown up for hundreds of years in this tradition, and we've celebrated these certain rituals and certain things. Should we even still do the Mass? How do we worship? So around 1530, he revised the Deutsche Masse, the German Mass, which was common in the day, uh, and he created an orderly way of conducting worship services, which we call now uh, liturgy. 
Okay, so our, our services uh, at our West Campus, our 9 o'clock service specifically, we follow uh, more closely a liturgy uh, in terms of our, our beautiful tr- uh, Lutheran tradition. And as part of this liturgy, in fact, pretty much right up front, in preparation for taking communion, was to recite a prayer uh, that thousands of churches around the world every Sunday morning recite. And if you have grown up in our Lutheran tradition, this will be very familiar to you. In fact, we're going to be reciting this later on as we are confessing our sin. But the prayer is this, most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in three things, three areas, three categories, if you will. We've sinned against you in our thoughts. Go ahead, follow me. Thoughts, Thoughts, and word, and deeds. Yeah, but I want you to do the actions, okay? (laughs) So (laughs) you're worse than the kids today uh, in chapel. So we've sinned against you in our thoughts, Thoughts, our words, and our our deeds, deeds, right? You're never going to forget this now, right? So we've sinned against you. This is how the prayer goes, in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds. And then Martin Luther kind of says, okay, that's too general. That's too broad. Let's cut it down into what does that look like? Uh, Then he says, we've sinned against you that way by what we have done and by what we have left undone. undone. We haven't loved you with our whole heart. We haven't loved our neighbors as ourselves. Boy, you're good. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, God. Forgive us because of Jesus. Renew us and lead us. So that, and whenever you see so that, even in scripture or even outside of scripture, that's kind of a purpose. We do this so that we may be poor and miserable and lead horrible, boring lives. Amen. That's what a lot of high school students think that we are going through these rituals, that we are doing these things, that we are confessing sins, that we're looking at ourselves in this light because God hates us and we deserve that that he, he looks upon us only in our sinfulness and that is it. No, but we know what Martin Luther wrote. So that we may delight in your will and we may walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. This confession and repentance is in in our services in one form of another. And so in a sense, every single Sunday, we celebrate a little bit of Lent. Not Lent. I just said Lent. Lent. We (laughs) celebrate a little bit of Lenten season every Sunday because we confess. We go before the Lord and ask for that forgiveness. So confession simply is this very simple word, actually. It just basically, basically means I agree with you. I'm confessing with you. In the church setting, it's I confess, God. I'm agreeing, God, that you, that because of who you are and what the word says, that I'm agreeing that, yep, I'm sinful. It's coming clean before God. I'm confessing, God, that I have sinned. But it's not just confession, it's repentance, which basically means, and if you've been at the East Campus, you hate this word now, because that's the word, like, every, the last seven weeks, all we've been talking about is repentance. And it just simply means changing your mind. God, I'm agreeing that I am a sinful person, and I am committing by by your spirit to repent, to change my ways, to change my mind about who you are, about who I am, and about the love that you have for me. A few years ago, uh, we did a series called 
Leave It. And I loved the subtitle of the series um, because the series was talking about certain things in our life that we really should leave uh, and just kind of let go. Uh, But it's one thing to leave something, but then what do you do? The subtitle of the series is what I really liked is Leave It Because There's Something Better Ahead. When we confess, when we repent, there's something better ahead. It's an amazing thought. The Ten Commandments shouldn't steal, shouldn't commit adultery, shouldn't use God's name. We talk about those things in church, but very rarely, maybe not rarely here, but other churches, we talk about why, is, why are these things important? Here's the reason why God wants us to confess our sins, to follow his way, is because following his way makes life better and makes you better at life. It gives you hope in who God is and what he has done. It's because he knows that by the power of the Spirit, as we confess, as we repent, and constantly are trying to change and and become more like him, again, by the power of the Spirit, we can't do this without his Spirit, that um, he knows that it is a much more fulfilling and abundant life. It might not be easier, but as we are being drawn closer and closer to him by his Spirit, We're walking closer to him. Leviticus 18.5 says this. I give you these commands. God gives you and me commands and things to do, confession and repentance as we're talking tonight, so that you may have life. John 3.17, John 10.10. Jesus came not to condemn you, but to save you and give you a full and content life. So tonight, just briefly, I want to use those three words as we think about confessing our sin and repenting of our sin. So I want to use that we have sinned against you in our, here we go, thought, Thought, words, deeds, right. So we're going to take a look at this. So we have sinned against you in our thoughts. Your thoughts are the first battlefield in your life that the enemy attacks. He knows that if he can capture your thoughts and disrupt your thoughts about truth, then defeat is just around the corner. The enemy knows that if he can get you to give in to the plethora of opportunities to sin throughout your life, that he's won his day. It isn't really clear if Satan puts thoughts into your mind, but we do know from James 1.14, he tells us that ultimately all temptation comes to our sinful nature. And the problem with your thoughts, here's the problem with your thoughts. There's no accountability. Nobody can read your thoughts. They don't have inside track to your thoughts. No one has invented a machine like in the movies where where they can hook you up and project on a screen. Raise your hand if you'd be willing to have your thoughts projected on a screen. Good, bad, ugly. Yeah, no, not at all. The truth is all of us have a combination of good thoughts and bad thoughts at any given time. And a bad thought becomes sin when it dwells. And we allow it to take hold of our lives. And here's the truth. What you think about determines really the quality of your life. So what do you need to confess and repent tonight in your thought life? So I've sinned against you, God, in my thoughts. I've sinned against you in my words. Words have power, don't they? Words have power. Proverbs 12, 18 says, The words of, a reckless, of the reckless 
pierce like swords. Remember here at Trinity, his name's Tim. Um, I won't tell you his last name because he's related, related to Pastor Bender. Um, <laughs> he gave me permission. Um, words matter. In his family, words matter. Tim said that sometimes he falls into uh, criticizing unintentionally something that one of his kids is doing. How many of you, you're the only one in church that does that, just to let you know. Um, we, as parents, we always do that. We tend to fall into this criticizing. And he, he would say things like, you aren't blank, or you can't blank, and all the negative stuff coming out. To which his daughter one time got fed up and said, don't speak words of death over me. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Nice. That's true. I'm sure she did. But I love that because it's true. Our words, our words, man, they have power. And what's so awesome about Jesus was that he wasn't, he wasn't afraid to talk directly about this with people. He said in Matthew 15, he said, you hypocrites, talking to the Pharisees, Isaiah was right when he prophesied against you, for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from, from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas. Jesus called the crowd together, and he said this, Listen, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your mouth that, make, that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. Why did he say that? It's because your words speak, the words you speak show the heart you have. The words you speak show the heart you have. As we confess the words that we have said, even maybe just today to someone we love, God redeems that. We confess and we repent. Can you imagine what would happen if all of us changed the way we spoke to people who don't know Jesus? Can you imagine what would happen in your school, students? If you were the person known for being cool, yeah, but not, being, not because of your gear or your style, but because of your positive, God-loving encouragement to other students. Not necessarily God talk, but constantly saying and encouraging students around you. I can tell you what hap- what'll happen. First, as you confess words and redeem, have God redeem those words, um, over time, you're going to feel differently emotionally, spiritually, physically. Second, people will be drawn to you because... That's what our world needs, people that speak life and not death, Tim Bender. (laughs) What do you need to confess and repent of tonight from what you've said? I've sinned against you in our thought, my thoughts. I've sinned against you in my words. Third area for all of us, I've sinned against you in my deeds. It was a late summer evening in Broken Bow, Nebraska, and a truck driver was weary from his drive, so he pulled into this little cafe that was still open late at night, sat down, ordered a hamburger and fries and a a drink, and as he started eating, three motorcycles pull up and three people that looked like they were from Hell's Angels, three guys come in, big, tough, tatted up, just gnarly, scary-looking guys. And they, those three motorcyclists came in, and they noticed the trucker. So they thought they'd have a little fun. 
And they walked over and started uh, verbally criticizing him, making fun of him. One of them grabbed the hamburger and ate it. The other one threw, grabbed the, the french fries and threw it in his face. The other one just spilled the drink all over the place, yelling at him the whole time. The truck driver did something that we wouldn't expect him to do. He stood up, took his bill, put a $20 bill with his bill on the cash register and walked out and got into his truck. As he was driving away, the waitress went over and watched him drive away. And one of the three motorcyclists, the three bikers that were in there said, boy, that guy was, was a, a, a wimp. He didn't respond the way we, we, we really got him. And the waitress said, I don't know about that, but he's a horrible driver. He just ran over three motorcycles <laughs> as he was leaving. <laughs> This one needs no explanation in your life and in my life. It's obvious that what we do is, it's obvious when we do something that it's sin. This, this afternoon in chapel, uh, we have our, our normal chapel for our academy kids, and we gave them the, the signs of the cross. But I asked them, what's an example of, of quote, sinning with your, by do, with your deeds? And one little gal raised her hand, and she said, when somebody writes a letter to somebody we don't like, and the letter says, I hate you. I was like, she just combined all three <laughs> thoughts, words, and deeds. Brilliant. But that's what it's like. To you, what do you need to confess and repent of from what you've done? I want to close with this. A friend of mine, Shelley Schwalm, wrote this on her Facebook today. Ash Wednesday is about embracing my dusty bookends, the fact that I'm going to die. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you will return. It may sound bleak, she writes, but it's freeing to be content in our dust-lined lane. In a world paralyzed by fear and obsessed with youth, it's a powerful proclamation for the church to feel the dust on our face and accept our death because Jesus has rescued us from its grips. That's what Jesus has done. That's how much God loves you. Because he sent his one and only son to take and become the dust that we are. May the season of Lent, starting with confessing thoughts and words and deeds, May this season bring you closer to the one who redeemed you from the dust and made you white as snow. Amen? Amen. Amen.